Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, with us today is Gartner analyst from the US, Benjamin Bloom, who's going to unpack that provocative forecast that the research firm put out late last year that 80% of marketers will abandon their personalization efforts by 2025. We had a podcast on this with some Australian executives uh, about a month ago, and uh, Ben is back to work through why the outlook might be so bleak for personalization. With him today is another group of Australian executives who we're going to discuss this through. Uh, welcome to Roger Slater. He was on the podcast last time with the head of, as the head of segments and digital at City. Sarah Adam-Gedge, who's managing director at Publicist Sapient, and John Bradshaw is back as principal at Brand Traction in this discussion. So Ben, welcome. You're with us uh, from the west coast of the US. Let's just talk a little bit about how you got to the study findings, the projections and forecasts that you talk about uh, in this report. To sum it up, there's a couple of things on there. We talked about the 80% number. You also think there is marketing cloud fatigue that has set in for many US marketers. We're going to talk about that one. That will be interesting. By 2023, CMO budgets on influencer marketing will decrease by a third. By 2022, 25% of marketing departments will have a dedicated behavioral scientist or ethnographer as part of their full-time staff. There's a whole bunch of things you've covered. But welcome, Ben. Let's get to that 80% number first, because I think that's caused a little bit of interest here in Australia. What got you to that number? What are you hearing from the US marketers that's fed that perspective? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, When you think of the prediction that we've made about the evolution of personalization investments, we're kind of taking into account a couple of things. One, so let's think about the investment side. We're seeing uh, in our surveys of uh, chief marketing executives, we ask them uh, about how they're allocating resources to various capabilities. And with CMOs saying that they're allocating 14% of their budget to personalization, that puts a pretty high bar that any investment is going to have to clear in terms of the return on investment that it actually produces. So we've been looking at how marketing teams actually make use of both the technologies that they purchase as well as the capabilities that they build around them. That's the the people and the content uh, and the work processes uh, that can enable an experience to be tailored for a particular individual uh, in some particular channel. And I want to be clear that we it's not that we don't think that personalization c- can work. Um, it's, uh, I think what we're seeing is that the more work involved in tail- in linking the outcomes that are associated with that personalization investment and and those personalization activities, uh, the harder it's going to be for someone to stand up and say, yes, I'm going to sign up for uh, for the outcome on my next annual review or stand up in front of the board. And so a couple of those headwinds that I can share with you include when we look at the 
customer references that uh, go along with our evaluation of personalization engines uh, in our Magic Quadrant 4 personalization engines, 51% of those references are focused on use cases other than digital commerce. They're focused on marketing personalization or customer experience personalization. And so the more those breadcrumbs are either harder to detect, so if you think about personalization in a call center that doesn't necessarily result in a purchase right away uh, versus something in a mobile app or on a website where you're directly influencing a, uh, a particular purchase transaction, those marketing and CX initiatives are much harder to prove. And yet the top success metrics across all use cases that those references uh, said were important to them were conversion, revenue, average order value. And so when you think about that disconnect, I think that we believe that there's a risk that marketing teams have kind of over uh, estimated their ability to tie those outcomes to uh, to their investments. And then at the same time, there are further headwinds when it comes to the data that we see as the fuel for those personalized connections. And whether that's the regulatory impact that might constrain our ability to collect and manage customer data, or at least increase the costs associated with doing so, uh, combined with a rising kind of consumer sentiment of awareness where they understand that marketers are collecting their data and they want to know what it's for and how it's being used. I think we would see that as also increasing the cost by ensuring that uh, marketers have to be more upfront or transparent with how they're actually collecting that data. And the combination of those things uh, kind of both seem like substantial headwinds that marketers might not have planned for. What you're saying then, Ben, outside of e-commerce, for instance, the, the ability to deliver a, a return on investment equation back to the marketing team and to the business is struggling. That's essentially the underlying point here is that beyond e-com, it gets tricky. Extremely tricky. And I think we see that there definitely can be ways out, but they often involve things that are a little bit more kind of back to basics, thinking about uh, kind of one of two roads. One would be uh, to try to... Uh, use more uh, holdout testing or uh, kind of A-B testing where you said, okay, well, this group of customers is going to receive some kind of personalization uh, experiment and this similar group is not. And then trying to measure the lift there. That's one way of kind of getting around some of the tricks of, hey, uh, are we actually able to connect 100% of every interaction back to uh, one single consumer and, their, uh, and the personalized experience that they've individually had. The other would be to uh, approach this from a more contextual standpoint, relying less on uh, data that's gathered at the individual level uh, and thinking about, hey, we've, uh, we have somebody, we have a visitor to our website. Maybe we, let's take into things that are more contextual, like time of day, the uh, you know, store traffic or uh, understanding uh, kind of what's happening in a particular individual session uh, or thinking about things that are more uh, you know, related to what similar individuals have done just based on their behavior. Hey, who's browsing these pages and what do those sessions actually do? Yeah. We'll come back to a couple of things, Ben. I think it's interesting. You talk about marketing cloud fatigue. We'll come back to talk about what the impact of all this might have on some of the software vendors and cloud players. But Roger Slater, first up hearing Ben talk about this, this issue about uh, linking ROI to personalization as being the big challenge. Uh, through the next few years. What do you make of that? Well, I think, listen, thanks a lot, Paul, for having me on again this morning and, and really appreciate the opportunity. And thanks to Ben, too, for joining us because I think this is a, it's a really important debate to have. And, and, and there are a couple of things here that uh, obviously 
um, as a landscape that is that needs to be needs to be changed. And I think some of that is around the traditional conversion metrics. So, you know, I think the way that businesses are now looking at personalization and 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 the ROI associated with that is is part of what actually has to change. I think. You know, when you're looking at at, at a at a one touch sort of point of conversion, and and John brought this up as well previously around how we're using second and third party data to try and trigger ads at a point in time where we've assumed a customer might be interested in in, in buying cat food on YouTube, and then questioning whether that's actually a, you know, a useful spend of money around whether that particular customer purchased that cat food or not. And I think this is part of the challenge we're facing, and and certainly what we're addressing ourselves is. Personalization and and the value and where that actually sits is actually not just um, the domain of marketing anymore, and and that's why you know my point previously was at fourteen percent it seems low, certainly in terms of how we're addressing it. It's across all the channels. Might buck in there, Roger. Fourteen percent, Ben. The Australian panelists on your report last time said that felt like low. Roger said it again. Is it? If you're talking about budgets that might not be under control of the CMO, then. You know, potentially there could be other initiatives. I suppose that the enterprise you know would be investing in, but the 14% figure comes from our survey data. So uh, those are you know CMOS who are you know, who are being asked about how they're allocating their budget across you know different capabilities. And I think that's the key point, and, and that the landscape of the CMOS remit has to actually expand and change if personalization. And and again, you know, we we talked a lot about Ben. We talked a lot about the definition of personalization and actually the broadening context of relevancy and attaching that to personalization. And and this is part of the historical struggle that I think, you know, CMOs have had is personalization and marketing has been restricted to predominantly those direct-to-customer channels that are influenced and managed within the marketing context. What I see happening and what we're changing is our view is actually broadening that remit. So it's it's not just up to the marketing department, it's also up to the concierge or the receptionist. And I know that in the past there's been a lot of lip service paid to this, but when you're looking at when you and to your point, which I really quite like now that you know when you sit in front of a board, and we talk about engagement with customers that's relevant and 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 again a point around being contextually appropriate, that's the conversations that now need to start happening because if it is the one-dimensional um, traditional conversion metrics ROI model. Uh, then, then you know, we, we are in some trouble. We have headwinds, as you pointed out. We've got Google and Safari and, and, um, and Apple and Firefox all coming out, basically restricting our ability to use third-party data, second-party data. So we have to get a lot better at what we mean by personalization, but we also have to broaden it across the actual, the, the entire business. And one of the things that comes out of our marketing technology survey data, which is a separate survey of uh, leaders who are responsible and accountable for driving the marketing technology strategy in their organization, is that you know, when we ask them what's getting in their way of delivering effective business outcomes from marketing technology, you know, they're not saying IT is getting in our way as the top impediments. The top impediments are talent, training, and integration. And so if you think about you know, that kind of cross-functional approach that I think we'd all really like to see, uh, I think it's starting uh, you know, to happen kind of organizationally that you know, IT teams or the CIO has started to say, well, you know, we can be a profit center also. It's not just marketing that can really contribute to delivering growth in the top line. But at the same time, making all these kind of cross-functional teams work together uh, where they might have different cultures, different processes, and might not yet have 
really understood how to work together kind of around the customer and around customer insights, I think that's where some of these challenges are just uh, are, are going to be more complex to solve than they are to kind of see what the solution actually is. Like I think a lot of people would love to have that collaboration, even if they find it challenging to deliver it. Sarah, what does this look like for you? You're working across an array of companies at Sapient. So what does this sound like for you at the moment, what you're seeing going on amongst your client base in the market? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great study. Love reading about Gartner. It's always a bit provocative as the banner or the headline is for this one. And um, it's been great to hear the prior podcast and the discussion around the definition of uh, personalization is a really interesting one because like what Roger said, we certainly view um, personalization as being more across the enterprise and just thinking about, you know, some of the issues about measurement and metrics and, you know, the the implication that we're seeing in, in most uh, organizations we work with is that um, thinking about the journey of the customer or customer journey um, is not just within, uh, you know, the CMO's remit. It's what is the impact of a mortgage, say, for example, right across the organisation. And when you think about how do I measure how we're interacting at every step along that process with somebody's calling us up in a contact centre or, you know, they're filling in an online application or maybe going into a bank, whatever the, you know, interaction is, it's not just you know, in, in one functional silo of an organisation. So I think therein lies, uh, I think, the challenge of saying, for example, that it's a 14% uh, investment um, and it's in the remit of the CMO. I think very much we're seeing the CMO, the CIO, the chief digital officer, uh, and more broadly into the business, whoever the GM is of, if I wanted to take the mortgages example of home lending or or whatever, how they're all coming together and what their metrics are, how they're cascaded down into the organisation and then how you measure against that. So the the work from a sapient point of view that we, we help clients with is thinking about the upfront strategy, what is the business case? What is the strategy? How do you design what the needs are? How do you put the tech in? You know, the tech is, uh, you know, as Ben said, you know, it's, the tech is not the impediment. Most technology um, can, you know, the vendors are very strong in the space. Uh, they can support what the needs are, but where did we start? You know, where did the organisation start? Uh, you know, and therefore, what do you want to achieve and, and how do you measure that? And it's not always going to be on your analytics dashboard. So I think, you know, we see, um, you know, we, we see an evolution um, from perhaps the, you know, the MarTech within the remit of the CMO um, into, you know, personalization not being dead in 2025 or, you know, 80% of people thinking it is. We're seeing this big evolution into actually customer data management. We're seeing the rise in Australia of, of CDP. There's a lot of interest around uh, customer data. That's the customer data of a platform? Yeah, customer data platforms, I should have said, um, which is an evolution. And, uh, and a lot of organisations here are looking at, you know, the business cases or doing POCs, POCs, you know, around, okay, well, how does CDP bring together data that can be enabled through technology that can actually help us understand our customers better, um, you know, and get that single view. So I think how we would see it as a, as a, as a broadening of 
the importance of not only understanding your customer and caring for your customer, never, never more so than now in COVID times. And so whilst I you know, really enjoyed reading the Gartner study, certainly I felt that it was more narrow in terms of understanding this topic. And we, we probably need to broaden it and think more broadly about how customers interact across a business. Let's go to Ben on that. So you were coming from a marketing prism around personalization, I guess, Ben, and, and the argument here is that personalization goes much, much broader and so therefore... Well, I think the, uh, the ambition is certainly there uh, in clients that we speak to that they would love to have that kind of cross-silo influence and I think the reality is that it's just not simple. It is really hard. The, to be able to get buy-in from, you know, from a single executive stakeholder is one thing, but you're talking about the entire organization kind of moving in unison. And the challenge then is that you know, adopting the technology then becomes an exercise in change management. And I think a lot of buyers are ill-equipped to do that kind of all by themselves, right? They, that often means you have to uh, admit that something wasn't working in the past. You have to admit that that it was your fault. You might have to, uh, you know, work with teams that you uh, have uh, competed with for resources in the past, and so those kinds of constraints, I think, are if that was a uh, an icy relationship between you know marketing and IT that has somewhat thawed, but. I don't think that necessarily makes it a slam dunk either. And I think we'll continue to see that kind of friction, maybe if it decreases over time, uh, that's one thing. At the same time, you know, the, the ability to synthesize data from across a substantial kind of diversity of touch points is something that IT might be used to making a solution that uh, let's say works for finance and HR and operations and supply chain and something that's very much you know designed to be kind of relatively resilient but might really not be very well suited to building something for the marketing team where you know marketing business users are finicky they like their pretty in interfaces they uh, want to be able to do things independently even when maybe a you know uh, someone in data governance might say please don't do that uh, and so you know the CDP trend is, is is something that we look at quite a bit as one that you know uh, tries to introduce some flexibility uh, into the domain of the marketer, and I think it is uh, it is often looked at as the solution when uh, perhaps uh, you know some of these more. Uh, you know, transformation-focused initiatives are things that really are designed to promote cooperation around a proof of concept, which I think is an underutilized you know, way of deploying technology. That's the kind of thing that we'd like to see more of. Uh, recently, we did a survey, and only 34% of respondents said they used a proof of concept as one of the ways that they evaluated the marketing technology that they selected. And that's definitely something that we're going to be looking to uh, to kind of assess more in these kind of COVID times where resources in particular are going to be constrained and you really want to make sure that you're assessing technology not against you know a 200 row excel spreadsheet of uh, functionality but really against that capability that you're going to build around the technology well it's a great point Ben, and i want to come back to sarah and roger on uh the business cases that often have been put forward to deploy personalization uh, systems inside companies but before that john bradshaw what do you make of it all so far Look, I think it's clear that it, when we're managing existing customer data or even almost existing customer data, so we're kind of onboarding on the final sale, 
all of this is kind of really important. But the noise I'm hearing in the market, the stuff where people like that I think are driving a lot of the Gartner survey is much further up the funnel in the kind of advertising end of things. And I think that's where we're going to see this um, personalization apocalypse if we're not putting too much tabloid headlining into this. Not only my three, John, no. Absolutely not. Because when we're in the priming or early selling stages of the customer journey, that's where it starts to get really flaky in terms of the evidence base for how behavioral personalization or kind of targeting is really making the impact that's equivalent to the investment that's going in at the moment. I have a really, really strong sense that we're doing this stuff because we can and the technology enables it. And there's nothing like enough of an understanding of whether we should be investing the amount of money we are in in trying to tailor the message in those steps of the customer journey. Because certainly everything I've read and the clients that I've talked to, they're not delivering the significant incremental returns on advertising in those stages that are required. Because it's not based on a fundamental understanding of how that type of advertising works, which is we don't really care whether it's personalised or not because we don't really care about the advertising in the first place. Now, once I'm in your machine and you're trying to process me in a surprise and delight and retentive kind of fashion, of course it makes sense to call me by my first name, not sell me things you've already sold me and try and make that experience as brilliant as possible. But when I'm just on the internet and being bombarded with advertising, it's really not having the effect. Uh, and the one thing we have noticed where it is interesting to think about personalization is, is in making it contextual. So if I am shopping for something and you can make that shopping experience simpler and easier by serving me advertising that says this is probably the best one of the things that you're looking for at the moment, we do see an uplift there. But that's a very particular use of personalization versus the broad-scale scattergun spewing of personalization that I'm seeing in the market at the moment. If you add to that Ben's observation that the data is awful and therefore your ability to actually do what we're trying to do... Um, I have friends who lived in Hong Kong who right next to an advert explaining that the US was the most dangerous place in the world to live now in terms of the number of people who died from the disease. Right next to that was a make a new life in the US ad from the US government. I thought that was kind of like a, a little microcosm example of how even, how even the best don't really manage to do this stuff right. So it is. T there are two debates here. There's the experience management debate and the advertising and acquisition management debate. And I'm on two different sides of the fence, depending on which side of the the coin we're talking about. Exactly right. You nailed it, John, in that, you know, what we've heard this morning so far is personalization can definitely work for e-commerce. It doesn't necessarily work for the advertising top of the funnel targeting stuff that uh, and how advertising works. So what are we left with, Roger Slater? Well, I think it's, it's, it, 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 it's a very interesting and broadening debate. And we have discussed in the past and and I love the fact that you had a, an interview and an article um, a week or so ago around uh, a point that's close to my heart. And that's, you know, fundamentally, I think we've lived in a, in a marketing ecosystem where marketers have got lazy. They've relied on technology. They've relied on cookies. They've relied on a, on a broadening array of channels and opportunity to, to just push content out and then just start managing the interaction and call that sort of experience and engagement. 
And uh, I think we, we have to move beyond looking to technology to solve our problems. Uh, and and it's, uh, again, it's a subject that's close to my heart is around that, you know, that responsibility is mine. It's, it's up to me to make sure that my data and my systems are in a way that are robust, integrated, and present themselves in such a way where I, I can actually understand what my customers are looking for. Uh, and and when and then and then get a better idea. And I love the the idea from Ben around the proof of concept, which is something that I I also support. I believe is absolutely underused. And let's use technology to speed up the the frequency and the velocity and 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 the quantity of continuing to test because we have this array of channels and we have this array of technology to to then start listening to what our customers are saying to us, but also listening to how they're engaging with us. So our business cases are are looking at at an array of opportunity and what do those options present in terms around engaging with customers and then looking to that engagement for a level of intelligence around how do we build that going forward and dispensing with this, let's just throw everything we've got at advertising because we know that advertising works and, you know, everyone can point to a, uh, a banner ad or a billboard or a TV ad or a, or a reel on, on, on YouTube and say, look, see, it's working. We've got all these impressions and all of this works well for us. Where We actually need to be a lot more considerate and, and sensitive to the skill of marketing and, and broaden it across the business. And, yes, it's a challenge. It's not going to be easy. But it is actually the responsibility of the brand vis-a-vis business. And we need to start um, going back to even some of the basics, relying on our partners, relying on those experts, relying on businesses like Sapien and, 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 and John and also, you know, Salesforce and Adobe out there that these are, these are experts in the field and we need to bring them to the table and then bring our customer to the table. And this is something, Paul, you know, that is, is close to my heart and, and, and something that we've done over the last 18 months uh, here at City. that it's, it's a collaborative, consultative process that needs to have an environment where it's about evolving, not just pointing something and shooting and then standing back and waiting for the results. Roger, would you agree then with the, with the sort of how it's falling at the moment that personalization may indeed be challenged to to Ben's uh, apocalyptic forecasts around the advertising top of the funnel stuff, but experience is different. Uh, would, are you making that demarcation now? Uh, I don't know that we're making it as a demarcation. I think that we're actually going to invest more money in personalization. Um, and, but I think what we're doing is we're working with our partners on defining that. And we're actually working with our customers to define what our view on that is, because you know, a Citibank view on personalization is going to be very different to, to, to fast-moving consumer goods. So personalization, but I, I want to add relevancy and I want to add, uh, add context to that. So it's not just personalization on its own anymore. And, 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 and the evolution of what that actually means to us as a business around where we put our money is going to go up. We're actually going to increase it. Uh, we are the investment in, in AI is increasing. The investment uh, in CDPs is increasing, and these segmentation of technology and market to enable us as a business to be able to do a better job of being relevant is where we're investing our money. I think that's really astute from Raj, right? If we didn't call this stuff personalization, but called it relevance and context, it would get deployed in a very different way. The problem is as soon as you use the P word, I'm trying to work out what age you are, how you vote, what your sexual orientation is, what you ate for breakfast today, and these things don't make any difference. But if we think about it in terms of what context is the human in and what are they trying to achieve now such that the content is truly relevant, like 
not imaginary marketing relevant, like I think you're interested in, you know, seeing things about cats, so serving you about cats, but I see you're about to buy my something in my category. Here is an ad for the best brand in this category. That stuff all makes sense in a top-of-funnel advertising perspective. Um, not serving pet food to people who don't earn pet foods. Um, so it, but as soon as you use the word personalization and it gets out beyond the level of expertise in this room, people just start painting with a very broad brush and that's when large amounts of money get spent. Thanks, JB. So, Sarah, uh, on this notion uh, of personalization, what are some of, when you're talk, dealing with clients and putting some of these programs in, what are some of the business assumptions and business cases made for personalization? And I guess it comes more under customer experience, doesn't it? Um, and it's it's sort of more a conceptual commitment to we need to do better for the customer, or do they put some numbers down about what can what it can do for the business and the enterprise? Yeah, look, it is all around the customer experience. And I think actually, uh, so we, we don't use personalization so much within Sapient now. Um, uh, maybe also the word personalization is perhaps passe, perhaps it's had its day. It's kind of like how we used to talk a lot about e-business and we used to talk a lot about cloud. Um, but it is, all this is really around customer experience. And I think the COVID time has been a good teacher or a good line in the sand because a lot of organisations that haven't had that focus on two things, customer experience and how they have, um, I suppose, got those digital capabilities or digitised their organisation might mean that they are more stranded than than some other organisations. So really, customer is absolutely king. And if we were thinking about helping uh, a client, you know, we would recommend, it doesn't always happen like this, that you have done your research into what the customer expectations and needs are. So customer research, different to just, you know, maybe the internal teams. I mean, Roger, you, you talk about marketers or marketing being lazy. I th think that's harsh, but internal teams, you know, trying to sort of think about what the use cases are and, and design for that. Um, really need to make sure that they're talking to the customers. We really, really understand, you know, what their needs are and um, then take it through to designing the experience that's going to best be meet those needs. Because we think that the tech, we work across all the different tech vendors, we think the tech can basically support what needs to be designed, what needs, which meets the needs of, of customers. You know, we kind of see it in a very different way. Um, you know, it's a tail wagging wagging the dog um, if you put tech first. So, Ben, you won't have any problem with most of what Sarah says. I think you, the lazy marketers thing, though, I think that's part of what you talk about. They're buying technology and believing the silver bullet and haven't done due diligence. I think that's part of what you say about marketers and also cloud fatigue. You think there's cloud fatigue, uh, marketing cloud fatigue setting in, at least in the U.S.? Yeah, so a couple of things. So one, I think uh, if we're going to forgive those uh, things that might have seemed, uh, you know, lazy to a certain extent, one of the things that, you know, you'd have a hard time criticizing was if somebody said, oh, I've uh, got this machine over here and you put in a dollar and you get back a dollar fifty and you said, well, Great, right? Give uh, so wait. No, no matter how much I put it in the machine, I just keep uh, keep getting revenue out of it. And you know, I think in the you know 2013, 2014 era, where you started to see you know a lot of these attribution solutions become more popular and become more of the justification themselves into how you're going to use some of these digital advertising capabilities at you know increasingly high levels of scale. I think it's uh, 
you know, it may not be laziness, but it certainly is an is almost an irresistible, uh, you know, bet to make. And the challenge is that uh, that's a very uh, it's not really focused on those customers that Sarah was talking about, right? It doesn't really talk about their needs. Doesn't really talk about why they want something. And I think that's where you know we certainly see opportunity for brands to you know more effectively get, understand the why of what you know personalization or relevance or or the right kind of uh, context uh, is going to be needed before you start. Uh, building some technology solution. And unfortunately, as the enterprise software companies uh, kind of entered the the marketing space and started to acquire lots of different solutions, uh, there were still all these barriers to getting the data that is going to underlie the decisioning that was supposed to be part of this kind of marketing cloud nirvana. all that work that fell on IT teams or on uh, external consultancies that were hired at the same time, you know, all those things were kind of re- required to deliver on that promise. And as we've seen, uh, you know, teams kind of go through a couple of cycles of, okay, well, the first cycle of a contract, we kind of uh, started off and we utilized a few of the basic features. And then, you know, we maybe it was our fault that we didn't get the way the all the way there that we uh, all, the, all the way to where we wanted to go. And then uh, maybe the next go around, they say, well, you know, we, we pushed a little harder and they gave us some consulting and we uh, tried again. And now still we find that, uh, it's hard for us to, you know, to get our work done. And so I think uh, all that work contributes to this kind of tailwind in uh, the CDP market and the personalization market uh, that I would call marketing cloud fatigue, which is that we're so tired of doing all this extra work when we thought the solution was going to do it for us. And now in these enterprise software companies uh, come with their own CDP solutions or CDP-like solutions, and they're basically saying, well, Remember that problem that we created? Uh, now we have this other thing that solves that problem. Isn't that great? And so I think, you know, as we see those uh, kind of just recently hitting the market, uh, it's a little bit early to tell whether uh, those discussions that are increasingly being had, you know, are are fully persuading the you know their CIO, CMO, uh, and CEO targets. Uh, but I think it definitely you know bears scrutiny uh, in terms of making sure that those solutions really do uh, you know deliver what they uh, what's expected, especially as it relates to you know integration between a, a, a marketing or an enterprise's kind of existing data assets, you know, and and the technology that's actually doing some of the uh, the heavy lifting. Sarah, is that fair? The software vendors created the problem, now create another product to solve the problem they started in the first place? Yeah, well, I'm not going to comment on software vendors, but I think the point that you make is very well made, Ben. Proliferation of technology in this space. And one of the biggest challenges is is around when we talk about and think about ROI is actually the adoption of it in the organization. And that then comes back to, well, where did you start? If you just started, you know, trying to find a hammer, you know, uh, trying to find a nail and a hammer, put those two things together um, without actually getting your business case set up right, then you put the technology in and you do expect the dollar of investment to produce the dollar fifty time and time again. And then there's another piece of technology. So if you take a tech-driven way on your roadmap to actually solving this, I, I totally agree. And this is actually, you know, it's hard. It's not just in marketing tech. It's hard in any technology. Adoption is the key. When we think of personalization, 
also, you know, the um, Amazonification or iconification impacts. Um, consumer expectations are just changing because we're all getting really good at, you know, sort of being able to work through these digital experiences. And so, you know, um, the vendors bring out new capabilities, they buy new capabilities, they bolt them in. Um, you need good advice. You know, Roger said this earlier, you need really good advice on, you know, how do you leverage what you've got, sweat the asset, you know, that's one side of it. And if you are going to add, what do you add in around cap digital capabilities, which could be technology, it could be talent, it could be analytics, it could be those uh, ethnographers <laughs> that are in the Gartner report. It gets harder to work out what do you have, how do you best use it, and if you do need to expand your capability, what do you need it to add in? So taking an external view, external into the organisation view of that, I think is really important. So I, I do agree with that. Um, does it cause, cause fatigue? Yes. Do people question their returns on investment? Yes. Um, does that mean, though, that this topic of personalisation is is reducing? No, actually, I don't think so. I think, in fact, the fatigue and, and so forth is coming because there's even greater demand and expectation. And that, that expectation is not just the consumerisation, but it's also the creepy side that, you know, we've, we've sort of mentioned a couple of times, but it's increasingly harder and more costly to make sure you stay on the right side of using that data. So I think, you know, I, you know this is... Um, it's, it's not a gold mine by any stretch, but you know it's it's a difficult area uh, to get right. John Bradshaw, yeah, just like really good points. So at the risk of kind of repeating, I think it is a bit slightly unfair to call it lazy. However, the media bit of the advertising job for marketers has always been the most complicated and most difficult, and it's the one they've most often deferred to the partner on, and just digital in and as of itself before we get to the personalization in digital channels made that job 40 times more complicated and so i think you have seen marketers step away from wanting to be right in the weeds on that stuff which as far as i can see is the only way you can manage it well the second thing is there's a human nature thing going on here which is commitment and consistency bias like once you've started doing something it's much easier to continue to do it even in the face of kind of bad news than it is to kind of reverse out to something that's a commonly observed kind of human behavior across all things so once you've bought the one million dollar thing from the vendor it's much easier to buy the next five hundred thousand dollar thing than it is to throw away the million dollar thing that's a real thing that's kind of how humans are not just how marketers are uh, and finally and ben kind of like um referred to it earlier which is if you're a cmo standing up and going the five million dollars we spent on marketing technology in the last three years looks like it's been an awful decision that i made and i suspect we should just now throw all of that in the bin that's a career-ending admission in from some ways so who the hell is going to say that even if they're faced with mountains of evidence to say it's not really delivering a return you're mostly going to try and fix it or fudge it or kind of squeeze it into a different shape that means that you don't have to stand up and say that it takes an inordinate amount of courage to do that so i do think there are a bunch of headwinds as to why the collapse in personalization that ben's forecasting might not happen however i'm a bit with him that i think it should 
Uh, with the exception of everything we're saying about customer experience management and, you know, first-party customer data management, absolutely think that's critical that we continue to get more sophisticated and refined at that. But the other half of this equation, if it all died tomorrow, I'm not entirely sure the reduction in marketing effectiveness would be anything like as beneficial as the reduction in marketing spend. Because I think the effectiveness increase is small and the spend is significant. Well, it's, 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 it's fascinating, John, and what you're basically saying is uh, time for a wake-up call, if nothing less. Uh, Roger Slater, your take so far? The amazing thing about this, and and this is why why I do love Gartner, is that they do they do lob these in for to for us to to create a level of debate and assessment, and and going back to the the wonderful points from from Sarah and John around fatigue, and objectives and ROI, it's not a singular equation anymore, and and uh, and I think that's what's what I'm so excited about at uh, changing, and what what we've been able to do over the last little while with our partners. Yes, I have numbers to hit, and yes, we have performance metrics, and and that's what drives a business. But what I've seen in terms of the massive shift with where we are around our investment in technology and software vendors and and the rest of it is is you know we we had 15 or 16 of them, we now have five. You know, we had about 12 to 14 different people of MarTech and AdTech, you know, we now have six. So there is a reduction, but I think it's actually not the fault of the technology. It's the fault and, and, and the responsibility is on us as partners and us as a customer to sit there and say, here's my objectives, be transparent around how you need to perform and what is actually key to how you want to measure that, take input around how that's actually going to happen, and then spread the load. Because it's not a single point solution problem. It's a collective issue that needs to be solved because we have customers, they do have needs. They have customers, they do have wants. And we also have customers that, you know, contrary to possibly popular belief, are not always right and also don't know everything. So it's our job as businesses and in inverted commas brands, and this is a point I know that John and I love talking about, it's a collective wholeness. It's a homogenous proposition that needs to have a sort of foundation to be able to be relevant and contextual and get that ROI. So Ben, we'll wrap up with this uh, and final words from everyone on for the next six months, 12 months, I- any thoughts on, on where you're going yourselves but or views on the market. Ben, it sounds like there's a few people here defending the software vendors going, not their fault, it's the marketers. Your sense on that, you think there's a little bit of uh, push needs to come on some of the supply side as well? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that... Uh it's early for some of these solutions. And to the extent that they are offered as uh, as adjuncts that are easy to migrate into, then potentially, you know, that friction uh, isn't going to be so much and maybe some of those, you know, problems go away. Uh, I do think there's promise there. Uh, the challenge for any, uh, any enterprise that, uh, you know, that's trying to evaluate its option uh, is that uh, I think we increasingly need to take, even if we're going to you know, some of these large you know, marketing uh, technology vendors, uh, we need to be evaluating them on a best of breed basis. You know, that's increasingly where a marketing technology buyers' heads are at in terms of what we're seeing in the you know, US, UK, and, and Western Europe. And so it'll be interesting to see how it, how it you know, evolves from there. And I think uh, right now, marketing technology budgets are kind of under you know, some kind of cost pressure in virtually every enterprise, given the uncertainty that we're in. And it creates kind of two potential uh, outcomes. One is that you know, the pressure to uh, develop new solutions that effectively leverage customer data is a, is a big boost in marketing technology investment, where you know, digital transformation and other initiatives that get accelerated. At the same time, you may see organizations that say, you know, we, we just can't afford that. We have plenty of projects that we won't be able to execute on for the foreseeable future. And that creates a sort of pause in, you know, the allocation of budget.
budget to marketing technology. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of dichotomy plays out, which I think are sort of opposing forces in the market. Before you let you go, Ben, Sarah talked about personalization maybe being a little quaint and anachronistic. Uh, is that what's going to happen in the definition, the term personalization, not the practice? We talk about uh, not just personalization, but we talk about this idea of tailored help as something that uh, we believe can be uh, a substantial lift in terms of how brands think about the kinds of decisions and initiatives that they deliver to their customers. And if you think about how does this thing that I'm trying to do, regardless of what you call it, how does this actually help a customer at some particular moment in the customer journey where you can understand what is standing in the way of that customer, either getting what they need or uh, you know, doing something that's beneficial for the business, that's the kind of lens that we'd like to see more enterprises put on it, rather than the kind of experience that a lot of us have had, which you know, after we uh, transact with a company, which is, I never want to do that again. And so if we can you know, develop the right kinds of things, whether we call them personalization or not, you know, I think that wider scope, hopefully, and, and more of a, a customer-focused lens, you know, like Roger's been kind of talking about, I think those are the kinds of initiatives that we see uh, with the potential to succeed. Oh, I'd love to have that debate. I, I think that's an amazing perspective and, and, and I would think really refreshing and, and, and turning this nuance from let's, uh, let's push out what we've got and see how much we can sell to actually uh, really putting that customer hat on and, and looking at how we can help and what's that, what does that actually look like from a journey point of view. But then how do you line up your tech vendors? I actually love that. I think, Ben, that's a, that's a really nice place for, for Gartner to start forcing us as businesses to pay attention to actually what's going on in, out in the marketplace. Well, Roger Slater, that was your final thoughts. I was going to ask you them, but Sarah, fast thoughts from you on, on the debate and what to expect, I guess, in, in the next six to 12 or what should happen. Yeah, look, I think tailored help um, that Ben just mentioned is spot on. That's what we think right across the customer journey. And I'm delighted, Roger, you like that as well. Um, so uh, that's very much how we think about it uh, rather than the, you know, a, a, a point issue, a point solution. I think certainly consolidation. Roger, you mentioned that. Um, in fact, that's why Sapient is part of the publicist group is so that all of the capabilities from CMO right through into chief digital officer right through into business lending, that example I used earlier, you know, all parts of a client can be supported as they focus on, you know, better on their customers. So, you know, we think, you know, consolidation is, is important. But another, you know, word beginning with C is around collaboration. COVID has driven a very, very different way that we're all trying to operate in the market. It's humanised things beyond what we would have ever imagined. And, um, you know, that's a great thing. But, you know, I certainly have found, um, you know, from a sapient point of view, the collaboration, both with clients and across many different parts of the market that we may not have otherwise have done, is a huge swing. And I think actually it speaks to, uh, Ben, you, meant, you talk about best of breed and we all understand that, that concept. I think the market is actually looking at the uh, organisations like ours to collaborate with um, partners in the ecosystem that may actually be best of breed service partners as well, not just tech. So I think collaboration, whether it's across publicist group, we do that enormously anyway. At the end of the day, we're just a group of great capabilities that we try to provide to clients, but really the ecosystem, leveraging the ecosystem, collaborating in the market. Uh, and customer is definitely king. 
And I think COVID has has taught us a a, a big lesson around that. So getting the most out of um, the these investments in people, um, in in the technology, I think is going to, uh, you know, we're, we're working in a very different landscape now around that. Um, customer and cash actually are king. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Look, it's, there's another another discussion. Ben, you, you know, you talk about uh, best of breed. Sarah talks about consolidation. Roger talks about consolidation of partners in the ecosystem. You say that actually some of these big cloud bundles may break up in best of breed. There's another conversation there about how the consolidation trend uh, rubs up against uh, best of breed and almost fragmentation. So there's some kind of another another whole com- conversation there. But John Bradshaw, your final thoughts, and then we we will wrap this up. Um, take so far. Yeah, been a fascinating conversation to listen into. Sounds like there's four headwinds. The coming cookie apocalypse, where we're going to have a lot less third-party data to, to kind of work with. There's the stuff we've been talking about, about the difficulty of proving a real ROI on these big capital investments that are required for this. There's the significant complexity when you get into it of how you would manage this in a good way. And then, you know, to the points that I keep making, there's a lot of unprovenness about whether in the top end of the funnel this personalization stuff works. I really liked the notion that if we can shift the focus of this tool from messaging and acquisition and top of funnel to help and ease and simplifying and easing both the late stage shopping process but certainly the kind of customer experience process and think about this tool for that as as kind of ben kicked off i think that's the right way for marketers to start to think about the next 10 years of using this technology rather than the last ben you're from the us so you get the last take you're the one you're the guy that started all this in the first place so i traveled the furthest yeah you did travel the furthest and you started it so what's your final thoughts uh, after this conversation? Well, I, I think uh, this was a really interesting conversation for me as well. Uh, it's always important to ensure that some of our thinking stands up to uh, you know, well-informed critique. Uh, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to, uh, you know, to participate in this dialogue. And I think what we're you know, seeing over the next you know, several months as we you know, do more uh, survey research and try to understand kind of what marketing teams are facing, certainly we're seeing quite a bit of challenge and uh, maybe some new new approaches. And I think those are going to be very, very exciting. And I, uh, again, very much appreciate the opportunity to come on and, uh, and chat with you all. Well, we've got to wind this one up. But Ben Bloom, thanks so much for joining us uh, from across the Pacific on the West Coast. Uh, fascinating conversation and triggers a whole lot more to be discussed, I think. Uh, so Ben, thank you. Roger Slater at City, thank you. Sarah Adam Gedge from Publicis Sapient and John Bradshaw from Brand Traction. Stay safe. We will loop around again on this subject, I suspect. Thanks. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.